Hello, OT amplifiers, and welcome to this episode of the Amplify OT podcast. This episode is a little bit different because I am interviewing the individuals who are running for president-elect of AOTA and vice president of AOTA. These are elected board positions for AOTA, and elections are opening on February 2nd of 2024 and close on February 23rd of 2024. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. First things first, the show notes. We have links to the sample ballot and to the elections page where you can log in to participate in AOTA's elections. Secondly, I have listed the full-length bios of the individuals who are in this recording. Because there were so many candidates and they had such fantastic things to say, we have actually broken up these interviews into three separate podcast episodes. Two episodes are dedicated to president-elect, and one episode is dedicated to the vice president. Now, I do want to make it super clear that there is absolutely no rhyme or reason as to why certain folks were grouped together or what order they appear in. I also want to make sure it's clear that I, myself, and Amplify OT are not endorsing any specific candidate. I think all of them have such an interesting perspective to bring to the position, and it's really going to be a tough choice. So I encourage you to listen to all the different interviews and hear the different perspectives, but also hear where they overlap in mission. For AOTA president-elect interviews, you will be hearing from Karen Sames, Michael Pizzi, Vikram Pagpatten, and Arame Amverzad. For vice president, you will hear from Natalie Chang-Wright and Christina Reyes. And I just want to say that I am so grateful that all of them agreed to participate in this project and that they are willing to put forward their time to support our profession for the better. The show notes will contain timestamps for each interview. So if you want to skip forward to a specific interview, you can do that by looking at the show notes. I have also uploaded each interview individually to YouTube, so you can also look at their interviews there, or you can share that specific interview, especially if you're looking to endorse your own specific candidate. There are numerous reasons to participate in this election, not only because we're voting for president-elect and the vice president, but there are also four individuals running for open positions on the board of directors. Now, unfortunately, many of these positions run unopposed. And while it's fantastic to see individuals who are getting involved and are willing to serve our profession, it's always great to have a choice. It's also unfortunate that for some positions, there were no nominations received, such as the mental health special interest section chairperson, the home and community health special interest section chairperson, and the OTA representative elect to the representative assembly. Unfortunately, there were no RA nominations received in Alabama, Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Montana, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Wisconsin. So if you live in any of those states and you're an AOTA member, I highly encourage you to consider running for the representative assembly so that you can represent the interests and beliefs of your state. A few years ago, AOTA put out statistics saying that on average, only 4% of AOTA members vote in AOTA elections. We need to make that change. You deserve to have your voice heard and you should participate in these elections just like you do in any other local or national election. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into these interviews and I can't wait to hear your perspectives. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. 
Our next interview is Natalie Chang Wright, who's running for VP of AOTA. Natalie Chang Wright is an accomplished leader with over three decades of experience in occupational therapy. She holds an MBA in healthcare management and is a COTA or CODA. Throughout her distinguished career, she has been honored with several military ribbons and prestigious awards, including AOTA's Roster of Honor and OTA Award of Excellence. Natalie's expertise lies in leadership, strategic management, and program development, with roles ranging from clinician to clinical director of operations and academician. She is a dedicated advocate for equity and inclusion. She holds certificates in related fields and actively engages in volunteer work. She is the current chair of AOTA's inaugural DEI committee. Natalie is a proud member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, a service-based organization that aims to empower women through service and sisterhood. She contributes leadership, strategic planning, marketing, and education in her role as the chair of her local chapter, the Advocate for Social Justice Committee. Natalie's leadership philosophy rooted in servant leadership emphasizes creating thriving environments through service, confidence, and empowering collective spirit. Her 30-plus year commitment to occupational therapy reflects a passion for positive change, advocacy, and making a meaningful impact beyond titles. So I'm happy to welcome Natalie Chang Wright to the Amplify OT podcast. Well, welcome, Natalie, to the Amplify OT podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. You are running for vice president of AOTA on the board, and I would love for you to tell our community a little bit about yourself. Looking at your bio, you've done a lot of different things from the military to DEI, and you were telling me about how you know you grew up in both Jamaica and the U.S., so you have a, a lot of different stories building your perspectives. Well, hello, Clarice. Thank you for um, having me in this space and giving me the opportunity to share with the occupational therapy community about who I am. So as you mentioned, I'm Natalie Changwright. I am an occupational therapy assistant. I've been one for, this year will be 34 years in the profession. I started off in the military in the United States Army. And um, I tell people that occupational therapy found me because like plenty of us who entered the field of occupational therapy, we may not have either known about it until someone presented it to us Mm -hmm. or didn't have much experience um, in that area. A true story, I wanted to, at the age that I joined the military, I wanted to pursue a career as a child psychologist. And the recruiters thought that occupational therapy would have, you know, been a good segue for that. So fast forward to today, obviously, I did not (laughs) become a child (laughs) psychologist. I do have some experience working with children, but just for a short amount of time, I realized, although that's what I thought I wanted to do, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) So most of my experience in occupational therapy from the clinical side, has been in um, hand therapy. I did a lot of hand therapy in the army um, and that's fairly common or it was when I was in the army. I uh, spent a long time working in inpatient rehab facilities. I think that's my love. And I also worked as a civilian for the army, working with uh, wounded warriors or wounded servicemen and women 
for the Warrior Transition Battalion. And my role there was uh, more on the end of working on coordinating transition into different opportunities for gainful employment, be it staying in the military and maybe reclassifying to another job or addressing different aspects of the job that they were currently doing or working on transitioning out of the military, whether into the role of a student learner or into a job that is that was similar to what they were doing in the military or something totally different. Um, nonetheless, we hope to foster like goal setting and forwarding the service members to have a voice in terms of their future, which is something unique based on my experience in the military, yes. <laughs> um, you know, being able to have a voice. Thereafter, I transitioned into the academic setting full-time. I worked as an OTA program director for a long time, and I really enjoyed it. I was very apprehensive about transitioning into that space full-time because I'd done some adjunct teaching, guest lecturing um, in different capacities. My primary worry was, am I going to get the same type of rewards as when I work with clients who have physical or neurological or cognitive disabilities or disorders? And the answer was yes. It was very fulfilling working with students. The rewards show up differently. Sometimes the rewards would show up when you ask a question or there's conversation and you see the lights go off where they have this aha moment like, yes, okay, (laughs) they understood. Or, uh, you know, in the culmination, of course, is watching them go across the stage at graduation, you know, so and then when they come back and say, thank you for helping me, thank you for your guidance and those sorts of things. Actually, one of a former student posted something on my LinkedIn page about me being the best. And it just warms my heart that (laughs) I, you know, contributed to her learning and in some small way, her success in what she's doing um, in the profession. So that's in terms of my my, uh, work with OT. But on a more personal level, I am a mother. I am a wife. I'm a volunteer, and I think I'm a pretty good friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. And what a diverse and interesting background in some ways, really kind of being at the root, right, of OT, where we got started in that kind of World War I, World War II era of helping um, servicemen kind of find their purpose after war. So I think that's really fantastic and seeing that in the, the modern age. And so This begs the question of why are you running for vice president and why now? Well, why not now? (laughs) Now is the time, right? Seize the moment and, uh, and, and the opportunities that present itself. But I'm running for vice president because I have an unwavering commitment to advancing the profession of occupational therapy. And those who know me or have heard me speak before, I also am very committed to advancing um, the standing of occupational therapy assistance in the profession. You know, I recognize that there are several pivotal moments, you know, throughout our lifetime. And there's one right now where we're facing both challenges and opportunities. And, you know, I think now is the time for a continuation of strong leadership 
I will say that throughout my career in occupational therapy, I have been very impressed by the people who have been elected or appointed into leadership positions within the association. And, you know, I have more than 30 years of experience in the clinical setting. I should say combined, a combination of 30 years of clinical, academic, and leadership experiences that I can draw from, you know, and I don't think that people put the two terms leadership and OTA in the same sentence or, you know, in the, even in the same conversation. And I would like to be an example of perseverance, an example of being brave, an example of, although in my personal life, I tend to be a more, more risk averse, you know, this is, a, <laughs> this is somewhat of a risk, right? Yes. Put myself out there and hoping that people will have an understanding of who I am and what I've accomplished and what I would still like to accomplish in the future, especially in, you know, such a highly visible and important position within the organization. But I'm confident that my track record and my dedication and my vision and that my vision aligns with the current needs of the profession. So I think I would be an ideal candidate for the role in this moment at this time. Well, good. And I I definitely can endorse your perspective on showing that OTAs are absolutely qualified and important to get involved in leadership. And I think that's a really great example. And, you know, it's always nice when you can kind of see yourself in someone else. And so I love to see the representation of OTAs in that way. Yes, indeed. What would be your kind of day one priorities, right? Like when people run for president of the United States, they have these, these kind of day one priorities. What would be the things that you would want to focus on if it was up to you? On day one, I think my immediate priorities revolve around strengthening communication channels within the association. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say strengthen because I think the communication channels are already strong. However, I also know that there's always opportunity and room for improvement. And I think recently that's been some of the criticisms that uh, Uh, the association has received in terms of how information is communicated with others or how advocacy efforts are communicated or should be communicated. In terms of an actual day one, you know, is just a small, a, a snippet of some of the things that I would like to work on to address within the association. And so, because some of this stuff is is new to me. You know, you see my bio or if you look at my resume, you will see that I don't have a lot of association experience in terms of volunteer leadership. And people might wonder why. Well, why would she be running if she doesn't have the experience, you know? And honestly, I have experience in a lot of things that align with uh, the role of vice president for the association. And so I understand that things currently exist. I would love to be able to review the existing programs so that we can determine as a board if it's relevant, if it's effective, is it working on collaborative initiatives with key persons of interest? And I believe the answer is yes. But I would like to take a deep dive to be able to see these things for myself, to be able to then have a better understanding of how to position and align 
myself in the role as vice president, which one of the primary roles of the vice president, not only is it to support the president of the association, but also taking ownership of leading and guiding the conversations and the steps and the strategic planning for the association and for our, for our profession. I seldom enter into new situations like I know everything. <laughs> uh, I don't know everything, but I, <laughs> I want to know as much as I can, as much as much as possible. And so one of the ways of doing that is, is communicating, like what have we done? What have we accomplished? Sure, I can read those things, but actually having you know open and honest and transparent conversations about what have we done, what have worked, and where are opportunities for improvement? I think fostering open communication, assessing the efficiency of the programs and the initiatives and advocacy efforts, laying the groundwork for collaboration. I think there's lots of opportunities for us to collaborate with other entities, you know, just really addressing the immediate needs while setting the stage for long-term success. Well, what I try not to have in any situation that I'm in, whether it's a volunteer role or a paid role, is upon my departure, let's say I am voted in for vice president and it's a three-year term, my goal is that my successor or successors would have a ground, a, a framework outlined for them so they can, with guidance, take the ball and run with it and not have to recreate the wheel. And I and I trust that that exists, that those systems exist within the organiz- within the association. But if not, I'll be doing lots of hard work and lots <laughs> of reading, uh, you know, to get caught up. I also think another area to focus on, not necessarily accomplish much on day one, really, because what, what can we accomplish on day mm-hmm. one? Uh, you know, except doing deep dives into what has happened, what we would like to happen, and then making plans to to get there. But, you know, addressing advocacy issues, especially decisions about health care and our standing in the community, different policies that currently in Congress, that affects our profession. Really, day one, I will have on my swimsuit and I'll be taking a dive. <laughs> taking a dive in. Well, I think that transitions very well. And you've kind of summarized this of what do you think is the primary role or mission of AOTA within our profession? You know, I think the primary role is to advance the work of occupational therapy. In doing so, we have to advance and and really showcase the quality of work that we provide to um, OT consumers, our availability. And, you know, sometimes we say, OT is all encompassing. We can be in everywhere and in every space. And while we can, I think we have the opportunity to kind of reset in some areas and reestablish the ownership of what occupational therapy, like the distinct and unique value of what we bring in the health in the healthcare arena, right? And I know that we have branched out from uh, traditional healthcare into you know emerging um, opportunities, but at the crux of the matter, we really have to hone in and take a look at why are we here? What is our purpose, right? Um, and our purpose is to 
you know, provide the best quality health care to contribute to the health and well-being of the public um, that we serve and to help to educate those about what we bring to the table. I think also, you know, in mission, the mission is operationalized or activated through our advocacy efforts, through professional development and, you know, collaboration across different sectors of our profession, as well as the other professionals that we work closely with and the ones that we want to work closely with, where the opportunity might not have presented itself, but we we have to make ways for that to happen. Yeah, I'm hearing that that overall theme, right? If it's strengthening that foundation while then looking for opportunities to branch out. Exactly. AOTA plays a pivotal role in shaping policy, promoting research, and uh, making sure that the profession is growing and is being recognized as an essential healthcare profession. I have said this before that occupational therapy is like the best kept secret. And it's time for that secret to become a rumor. (laughs) I like that. It's time for us to start whispering in other people's ears, right? About occupational therapy. My dream for OT is that we will be a household, we'll be recognized in every household, you know? And when I think about every household, what, what does every household have? A television and a computer. So, you know, those are the spaces that we have to get into people's minds and hearts. And uh, I believe our profession is going to blossom once people know about, more people know about who we are and what we bring. I think that brings up such a good perspective of how we can try and get people involved as well as spread awareness. And I think that allow me to jump a couple of questions ahead of, you know, within our last workforce survey that was conducted by AOTA, it showed that 25% of practitioners are considering leaving the field of occupational therapy. And additionally, AOTA also had a 7% drop in membership this past year. Do you think these issues are related? And in your opinion, what do you think would be the best way to address these issues within our workforce and within the association? I believe there is likely a correlation between <laughs> practitioner dissatisfaction and the drop in AOTA membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that happens, you know. I would be naive or anybody else I think would be naive to think that every single member is happy <laughs> with with what we offer, right? I mean in in even in in small spaces I think about, you know, relationships with with people, mm-hmm. you know, whether at work or at play and there's always going to be some type of dissatisfaction in some area. And I think part of it is because people might not understand how the association can actually help them in their profession. Mm -hmm. I think to address some of the dissatisfaction, we really have to do a comprehensive analysis. And I know that the staff at AOTA, as well as some of the current board members have been working on, um, you know, addressing labor force challenges and, you know, decreasing membership within the association. I believe we have to engage members so that we can understand their concerns. You know, it'd be interesting to know if when a member decides to depart, similar to if someone decides to resign from their job, that there is a um, an exit interview of sort. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that something like that exists so that we can get a better understanding of 
why the individual uh, decided to no longer be a member. Because I think that can help to shape some some initiatives to help to maintain the membership that we have currently have, as well as opportunities to recruit more members. AOTA offers a wealth of professional development, and I think that we could do a better job. Uh, the association can do a better job at uh, advertising that more. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why people join national and state associations for the benefit of professional development. I also think there's a great opportunity to offer higher level certifications for OTAs. Mm. Yeah. Especially for those who are practitioners. You know, I think that would be attractive, especially if it's, you know, cost effective. Yes. <laughs> we got to think, think about cost. The yeah. little piece in there, right? The little piece in there. Yes. And you've already said that you believe that membership is important, but I'd love for you to explain why you feel so passionately that membership, whether it be in AOTA or also potentially in our state associations, is so important. You know, I, for ever since my childhood, I've always been involved in some sort of civic engagement or, you know, something along the sort. So, you know, I think probably like most little ones, either, you know, our parents put us in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts <laughs> or, you know, something of the sort. And for those who go to church, you know, some kind of, you know, adventure club at church or something of the sort. And so I have been a part of these types of organizations since childhood. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's commonplace. It's like a no brainer. It's like <laughs> the priority in my budget, you know, is to mm-hmm. pay my membership dues because I want to contribute to our profession in a broader way. And, you know, there have been times where all I had the bandwidth for was to pay for membership. And yeah. That was it, you know, and then there are times where I've had opportunities that my, you know, personal life or my professional life was not so demanding, like times like now where I can do something more than simply being a member. When I was fully engaged at church, well, I shouldn't say fully engaged for many years because I was doing so many things. I was, I considered myself a bench member at church, right? So, you know, I show up, I pay my tithes, I, you know, do my thing and and then I go home. And then at some point I said, you know, I need to contribute on a greater level. And so then, then I just, then I just did. And I felt so great about it. Not that I felt bad when I was just a bench member doing Mm -hmm. that because that is what I had the capacity of doing. However, I know that my contributions, my financial contributions, even finite, helps to contribute to the advocacy efforts that we so much need in this profession. I think AOTA advocates for us in various spaces and for various policies to help support the profession, Um, like workforce diversity. You know, we're advocating for federal policies to improve diversity, although let's not use that word in Florida, of the workforce, you know, by increasing the number of practitioners, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, we are working towards that. Reimbursement and coverage and payment policies, you know, as we know, the regulatory affairs department, they advocate 
like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are some powerful people in working for association and volunteering for association. They're advocating for us to have uh, fair coverage of payment policies and referrals, you know, and, and sometimes federal or state or county policies can impede uh, consumers' ability to receive OT services because of reimbursement um, challenges. You know, I could not fight that alone. You know, our membership dues contributes to being able to advocate on that level. Uh, there was just a, a, a session that the um, Advocacy Affairs Department had, and they were talking about healthcare access and telehealth. You know, I wonder how many of our OT practitioners who are providing telehealth services are aware that those services might not receive reimbursement at the end of this year. And so who else is going to be the voice for us? Our membership dues contributes to that and so much more. Our advocacy efforts for the association is definitely aligned with the mission to advance the work of OT. And again, to advance the, enhance the health and well-being of the consumers that we serve. And without this level of advocacy, honestly, where would we be? Exactly. <laughs> I can't agree more. You know, it's a big part of what I say as well. And so I want to thank you for coming on. But before we leave, my last question for you is why should someone vote for you? Everyone should vote. You're right. If you meet the criteria for voting, which in AOTA, it means that you would be a member of the association. And I think everybody, everyone should vote. And I'm really hoping that the voting community of AOTA will show up in droves. Actually, you don't have to show up. You have to click, <laughs> you know, log into the website and choose Natalie Chang Wright for <laughs> vice president. In all seriousness, I will say that based on my proven track record of leadership, of dedication to advancing occupational therapy and promoting greater inclusion for occupational therapy assistance. I have a vision for a stronger and more united association as well as profession. You know, I have over a decade of experience in academia and, you know, a total of three decades <laughs> um, <laughs> in the profession. I think I bring a strategic mindset. I have a commitment to inclusivity. As you may know, I'm the chairperson for AOTA's DEI committee. And I have a wealth of experience that I believe will contribute to the continued success of our profession. So I would like for you to vote and vote for Natalie Chang Wright. And I promise you, I'll showcase my dedication, fostering an inclusive and thriving occupational therapy community. Well, that was a fantastic stump speech. And I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been so great to let people hear from you. And I agree, everyone should go and vote in today's election. And we can, I think together, we can increase the the normal participation that we see that's a little unfortunate in most elections. So hopefully we'll see some better engagement. So thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Clarice. It was very great being here. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. 
You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Dr. Christina Reyes-Smith is an Associate Professor and Director of Admissions in the College of Health Professions Division of Occupational Therapy at the Medical University of South Carolina. Dr. Smith has served in multiple national leadership roles, including as a Director for the American Occupational Therapy Association Board of Directors from 2020 to 2023 and on the editorial board of the Journal of Occupational Therapy of Education, JOTE. She is a co-founder of the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, or COTAD, which is a national 50C3 organization. In 2022, Dr. Smith was invited to serve on the American Occupational Therapy Foundation, or AOTF, Standing for Research, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity, STRIDE, Committee. She was the founder and business development coordinator for Vida Bea Services, LLC, a pediatric OT and PT agency with a focus on providing access to quality care for underserved communities for almost 10 years. She serves as the co-director of the HRSA MUSC Occupational Therapy Scholarships for Students from Disadvantaged Backgrounds program, and Dr. Smith also serves as the chair of the MUSC College of Health Professions Faculty Assembly and Faculty Council. She has also previously served as the chair of the MUSC Faculty Senate Institutional Advancement Committee. She has coordinated multiple annual events, published and presented nationally and internationally with a focus on access to care, as well as clinical practice and education with diverse and underserved communities. She teaches multiple courses on leadership and management, advises student organizations, and mentors doctoral students in the entry-level and post-professional OTD programs at MUSC. Let's welcome... Dr. Christina Reyes-Smith. Well, welcome, Christina, to the Amplify OT podcast. I am so excited to bring you on and have you part of this exciting project for AOTA elections. And so to kick us off, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about you and how you found yourself here. Sure, Clarice, and I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for what you're doing for OT also. I love what you're doing with the platform and elevating our profession with advocacy and policy in particular too. I have been an occupational therapist for almost 20 years now, and I was looking back at my AOT membership, and it was 2004 (laughs) in June, so almost 20 years. It kind of blows my mind. I serve as the admissions director, and I'm an associate professor at the Medical University of South Carolina. Right now, I've been a part of multiple initiatives, both related to occupational therapy, interprofessionally as well, uh, across our university. And often, they have to do with access to care. They have to do with diverse and underserved communities. 
different uh, leadership development programs for our students, for colleagues as well. And so I have also had the opportunity to be involved with these kinds of initiatives across the country. I served on the board of directors for the AOTA from 2020 to 2023. A good time. (laughs) It was. It was. I was elected in January 2020. I did not know how exciting it was going to (laughs) be for the next few years during that time, but we absolutely learned a lot. So my term ended July of 2023, and I've been taking some time over this past year for for rest and rejuvenation, a lot of reflection also, which has been really great. A holistic approach to my own health and well-being has been a part of that. And I'm really excited about this opportunity to run as vice president of the AOTA. I do have a website, it's christinareasmith.com, with more information about my different leadership roles, um, some of the work that I've done. There are some photos, there's video, a lot, a lot of resources there. So I won't go too much into the other components. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to link your full bio and website in our show notes. So anyone who's listening or watching can definitely access those. So what made you decide to run for vice president and why now? Because you say you took some time off, but it sounds like it's only about a year. So why, why right now for VP? So that's a great question, Clarice. I think we really are at a pivotal time in our profession as we have been through this global crisis, multiple crises really as a profession, as a society. And we're in a place where awareness is still low of the profession. Burnout is high. Admissions numbers are low of people entering the profession. And we have people exiting the profession at a higher rate than before. And so we really have multiple areas to address. We're a little over 100 years old from our centennial, and we're still talking about challenges related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sometimes the identity of occupational therapy, what, what it is, what it entails, what is our scope. Last year with women's health, that was a place where there was a lot of dialogue about what is the role of occupational therapy in women's health. Having been on the board recently, having been in other leadership positions as well, I served twice, two terms on the representative assembly of the AOTA for my state. And I'm a co-founder of COTAD, the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, which just celebrated a 10-year anniversary. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All of those experiences have allowed me to be involved and engage, collaborate with other leaders in our profession, occupational therapists, occupational therapy assistants, students at times as well, to help to move the profession forward in these areas with the centennial vision. The vision was published, the citation I used was from 2006, which is also the year that I graduated from OT school. (laughs) And so I consider myself to be a child of the centennial vision that has Mm. really framed my identity in the profession, my goals, my aims, and my why for many of the things that I do now as an educator, as as an entrepreneur. I had a company for almost 10 years where we had a focus on access to quality care for underserved communities with OT, PT, and pediatrics. 
also with research that I've been able to be involved with, with the focus on um, health disparities, access to care, leadership development, for example. We had a, a grant meeting this morning on a training program that we're trying to develop around early intervention and access. And so that has really been tied into the Centennial Vision and then Vision 2025 and beyond. Uh, we're still in that figuring out what does that and beyond look like as a profession. And the Centennial Vision was so powerful. And it was such a time when we turned the anniversary for the profession to come together. Our membership really skyrocketed. The sense of camaraderie and community really skyrocketed. And I think we have an opportunity in the envisioning of the and beyond piece to bring our profession together and get on the same page about what are our core values? What is our core identity? Yes, we are different. We are diverse. We have a variety of practice settings. Mm -hmm. We have a variety of areas of expertise and characteristics in our, in our identities. But what are those things that are core features to who we are? What is the, the lifeblood, the ethos of our profession now and into the future? And so that is why I'm running for vice president, because I want to be right in the middle of that envisioning. I feel that I can help in unique ways from my background, my experiences personally and professionally, and the collaborations and coalitions that I've been able to help be a part of and help lead at times as well in the past. Yeah. And you've already kind of touched on some of these priorities and talking about the centennial, I was a student during the centennial uh, conference. And so you're right. That was a big time it was one of the biggest conferences in history, I believe in Philadelphia. And that was very exciting then entering into the field right after that. But you've kind of talked about maybe some of your priorities, meaning like diversity, as well as talking about workforce issues, admission issues. So if it was up to you, what would be kind of your day one priorities if you were elected VP? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, day one would be about establishing relationships for future collaborations. And in some cases, it would be reestablishing relationships that I've had in the past from this different perspective, but it would also be about establishing new relationships with some that I may not have had a relationship with in the future. So for example, the MDI network, the Multicultural Diversity and Inclusion Network, it would be a high priority for me to connect with that group, if not day one, sometime very <laughs> close to it. I feel like that's a group that in spite of all of our efforts around DEI and the great gains that we've had with the DEI committee, uh, or the message that I've gotten is that the MDI groups still don't feel completely engaged in the way that they would like to be. The ASAP group, the affiliation of state association presidents would also be a high priority group to re-engage with, mm, yeah. to identify what are their priorities. There are many, many needs, but I think we have an enormous opportunity for continued collaboration and engagement with them. So many people right now, they choose one or the other, either they are AOTM members or they are state association members, but it's not effective. It's at a loss to all of us when we don't have that active membership and engagement at both of the levels. 
Also, meeting with other association leaders would be a high priority. So on day one, I would like to reach out to the leadership group to try to listen, Mm -hmm. identify what are those needs, what are those priorities, and then we would go from there to establish an action plan to move forward. Yeah, that's great. And that's a lot of great priorities. I think collaboration is definitely a key of this election. That's a term that I seem to keep hearing over and over. And I love that involvement of state associations as someone who's volunteered both on the AOTA and state association side, and I'm sure you have as well, that you can see how much there is of a connection and how much we need both of those advocacy fronts in order to protect all sides of occupational therapy and advance it. Absolutely. Which brings us then right into AOTA. So what, in your opinion, is the primary role or mission of AOTA within our profession? Our primary mission is really to represent our members, but really our profession at large. I think sometimes it gets compartmentalized, AOTA members, AOTA Mm non-members, but it really is AOTA members' perspective, AOTA members, and the (laughs) profession at large. With that, we represent with regard to regulatory affairs, interprofessionally across our national association partners and potential partners. Internationally, the AOTA represents us as well. It sets the stage, the tone. It steers the ship for our profession with regard to education, initiatives, resources, even though we have other organizations that have critical needs in our profession. AOT really has been at the center of that in the development of ACOT, AOTF, even COTAD has roots through AOTA initiatives. And so it is that representation of the membership and the profession at large that I see as the critical mission and role of the AOTA. Yeah, and I love the uh, members and prospective members, right, versus members and non-members. And so I think I know the answer of whether or not you believe membership is important, but I'd love to know what would you say, especially to our prospective members, as to why AOTA membership is so important? AOTA membership is critical for us as individual practitioners, as groups, teams, organizations. AOTA, as I said, sets the tone, the standards, the strategic priorities for our profession, which really do trickle down to other areas and organizations of our profession. So another reason why AOTA membership is so critical is because AOTA engages with other healthcare organizations and non-healthcare organizations interprofessionally. And when we're going up against policy decisions, against funding, against scope of practice types of challenges and initiatives, AOTA is the organization that is fighting for occupational therapy. And the association is only as strong as its membership. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to funding. It comes down to resources that are provided It comes down to impact of our profession. We are only as strong as our membership. So I encourage everyone to commit to being an AOTA member for life. You'll continue to benefit from the AOTA, whether you are 
paying your dues or not, so to speak. But it really is just fundamental for our professional identity and for the vitality of our profession. Yeah, well, as someone who's also an AOTA member, I definitely agree, especially on that advocacy piece. Now, you said that you've been on the board before, and this is a question I've saved for our vice presidents. How will you support a collaborative relationship between the president, the vice president, and the rest of the board? So in the role as vice president, I would have the primary aim of supporting our president, our board, our staff association, and our membership to the best of my ability. And so communication would really be key for that. My strategy is to listen first Mm -hmm. and then to share and to share with humility. Cultural humility is something that we talk about a great deal. And I think it's critical for leadership to be able to try to have empathy, compassion from where people are coming from. I also am keenly aware that leaders are also human. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes we tend to forget about the humanity that we have in each other. And so grace is critical. Having opportunities for conflict resolution is critical. There's a really great book called Crucial Conversations that I have really relied on in my journey as an occupational therapist and as a, a clinician leader. It's about calming down and being able to talk about these major issues that are deeply personal to us often, some that may impact us to our core, but not talking does not get us anywhere. Right. And screaming at each other does not get (laughs) us anywhere either. (laughs) And so that goes back to um, just seeing the humanity in each other, creating spaces for safe dialogue to help get to some of those next places. And I feel like some of the challenges over the past couple of years in particular are that our conflicts have arisen nationally and and unfolded often in social media or other forums, but we haven't been able to get to the resolution state of those yet and communicate that to the community as well. And so that would be one of my goals would be to try to help to bring together our leadership, our membership, and our profession to that resolution and moving forward together. And that um, has really become a a motto for me, not only when I was running for AOTA Board of Directors, but for now as VP, uh, moving forward together. That's the only way that we're going to be able to get to where we want to be in the future. Yeah, I love that humanity piece. I think it was during one of the DEI presentations at the Momentum Summit for AOTA where they said we need to make room for mistakes. And I really, because I believe you may have been on that panel. I don't know if that was you who said it, but but I really liked that statement and reminding ourselves that none of us are perfect beings and that it's okay to make mistakes as long as we can move forward together. Thinking of that humanity piece, The last workforce survey conducted by AOTA showed that 25% of practitioners are considering leaving the field of OT. And also, AOTA had a 7% drop in membership this past year. So do you think these issues are related? And also, what do you think is the best way to try and address these workforce burnout and also AOTA membership drops? 
Yeah, so these are really great questions that you asked, Clarice, and I do think that they are related. Last year, we had um, a rollout of a new membership model. There was a new technology that was a part of that with subscription services. And so with that transition, we did lose a number of membership that we've been working hard to, to regain. What I hear from clinician friends and colleagues who are actively practicing, the regulatory burden has been significant for people. They report that the documentation at times, the administrative overhead and burdens are just overwhelming. I have friends who own private practices, and and that was my experience as well, was that the admin overhead, uh, I had a company for almost 10 years providing the pediatric OT and PT. It was very challenging just to get reimbursed for services that had already been rendered and and (laughs) expenses paid for. And so with our healthcare system at large, the Affordable Care Act attempted to alleviate some of those challenges. It created opportunities for us. We're in the top 10 essential health benefits, which is incredible. I know AOT advocated very hard for that. But a lot of the regulations are being mediated at the state level. And so if we're not having that advocacy at the state level with Medicaid, um, with early intervention, and some of those different regulatory bodies, the admin overhead continues to to increase. We had an opportunity. We took uh, I took a group of students to our state house in South Carolina back in the fall as a part of that's an annual visit that we do on or around AOTA Hill Day, and we met with the director of medical affairs for our state at that time with Medicaid and Department of Health and Human Services. The understanding of what occupational therapy is and does. <laughs> was not ideal. Yeah. Say. And he, he read the definition to us directly from the policy manual. <laughs> and he said, I see the words here, but I still don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And he was a pediatric medical doctor, a pediatrician. The ongoing education, the advocacy, the lack of awareness of our profession, these are some of the factors that our clinicians and practitioners are just getting burnt, it contributes to the burnout, Yeah, limited awareness, um, the limited appreciation. And then one other huge piece of it that I've seen in myself in the past and in others is we, we care so much. Yes, we have so much passion for this profession for our patients, if we're in education for our students, or our communities, that sometimes it is to our own detriment because (laughs) (laughs) we are so empathetic and we will invest our time, our energy, our talents to the point of uh, of overwhelm at times. And having been there myself over uh, a few years ago, it sometimes it's a slippery slope. Sometimes we wake up one day and say, how did I, how did I get in this situation? And you add a, a global pandemic and all these different crises over the past couple of years to it. And it's, I think some people, and I, I have a friend who has currently, she's exited the profession for now. And um, I do hope she'll make her way back, but she just needs a break for her own personal well-being. And so 
we care so much about others, we forget to care for ourselves. And over the past couple of years, I've been speaking much more about self-care. And I have to always qualify it to say not the ADL kind of self-care necessarily, but the wellness self-care and having habits that are healthy for ourselves. I have advisees and I ask them, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Mm -hmm. Are you exercising regularly? Do you have good social support? Are you finding time for yourself? And I try to ask them this regularly. And I try to ask myself this regularly too. (laughs) And that's why this last six months, I've been really trying to focus on having those healthier habits so that when the hard times come, and I know that they will, whether it's through the VP role or, or other aspects of life, I'll be ready, I'll be stronger for it. And I'll have a more solid foundation to be able to navigate, navigate those challenges. Yes. And I can see how all of these are connecting is that, you know, you're talking about reaching those individual practitioners and that connects back to reaching out with ASAP and wanting to build better connections with them. And as someone who's also experienced that severe level of burnout, I can definitely attest that one of the only things that helped keep me tied to this profession was the people I knew within AOTA and within our state association who I could look to and see, okay, there is light on the other side. I maybe need to step back for now, but that, you know, they help keep me tied to what, you know, what OT was all about in the beginning. And so is it fair to say that kind of your your main themes, if we had to summarize your campaign for VP, it sounds a lot like connection of reaching out to individuals and also some of those diversity elements and community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've summarized my platform as a focus on leadership, advocacy, and access to care. And my teaching area is in leadership and management. My experience has been in leadership roles and leadership development is an area I'm very passionate about with my students, with colleagues, other clinicians, educators. And I have to admit, I never saw myself as a leader. As a young person, I had a negative view of leadership and leaders and what I thought that entailed. And what I discovered was very different as I've grown as a, as a person. I have been motivated by the needs that I have seen around me in my own backyard, in my community, uh, in the people in my life over time. And that has taken me down this journey of leadership. And so in our profession, many people don't see themselves as leaders either. But occupational therapy practitioners are fantastic leaders. Yes. When they are able to see that, applying the short-term and long-term strategic planning process, looking at the big picture, but also Mm -hmm. the details, applying action steps. And so I do think that we need more training opportunities and people having time to access training opportunities Because I believe we really can solve some of the world's greatest challenges and problems through occupational therapy. If we provide those structures, provide the resources, and provide the support in our members and prospective members to help move forward societal needs. I agree. I think 
anyone who's uh, listened to me has heard me say that I think we can solve many of the world's problems and that everyone needs an OT or OTA in their life. And so thinking of that member, that leadership piece, right, where we don't always see ourselves as leaders, and I can definitely resonate with that feeling as well. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in volunteering or taking on a leadership role? So the first thing I would say is everyone has a leader within them. Mm. And it's just a matter of getting to know who that person is, what are their strengths, what are their areas for growth, and what's possible. And I tell my students, if you graduate when you're 25 years old, and you retire when you're 65 years old, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. that's 40 years of career where anything can happen. I'm running for vice president of the AOTA. I will tell you, Anything can happen. Never (laughs) saw this coming, but here we are. I love helping people to get to know that leader within. I'm happy to meet with anyone if they're interested and brainstorming a little bit. That's one of my favorite things to do Mm -hmm. is sort of that, that visioning. But I would also suggest start with smaller roles. So no one runs for board of directors in their first year of practice. (laughs) (laughs) That would be interesting. It's about taking on those smaller roles where you do feel mm-hmm. comfortable, maybe in your community or in some some organizations at your state level. We have yeah. huge holes at times, vacancies in our state leadership yeah. for roles like special interest section leadership or district leadership, where people can get involved and often they're meeting online now, so you don't have to necessarily travel for mm-hmm. that. And it can be hard to make time, but often it's a few hours per month that you're contributing to these groups. I encourage you to start with smaller roles and then go from there. And then the other thing that I would say is just to know that imposter syndrome impacts all of us. Definitely. Regardless of what stage of the leadership journey we are in, anytime you are in a new role or expanding a role to try something new. I know for me, I had to really work on um, mental discipline Uh because my brain would go to all the failures from the past, (laughs) uh, which I won't go into at large right now. But (laughs) So I had to be disciplined in my Mm -hmm. thoughts and to sometimes I would write out what were the things I was proud of or what I had accomplished or what were the goals. I would put it on a post-it note or I keep, um, I have Evernote, which is a great app uh, that I can use across my devices. And so I would reference that kind of regularly. Also having really good theme, a good theme song has been (laughs) critical. (laughs) What's your theme song? Can we know it? Uh, So my theme songs vary and... (laughs) From time to time, I I haven't gotten one with BP just yet. Okay. So I, I have that in my head regularly. And sometimes if I'm about to have an interview or teach mm-hmm. a class, especially in the early years of becoming an educator, I would play the song beforehand and, and sometimes over and over again. And it would just help to fill my spirit, yeah. help me move forward and um, give me the confidence because I, I have gotten, I've struggled with performance anxiety my entire life. So a good theme song is really key for the, uh, for the occasion. It can vary <laughs> for sure. I love that. So to wrap up our 
interview, of course, the most important question is why should someone vote for Christina Reyes-Smith for vice president? Well, Clarice, (laughs) I am an experienced, passionate leader who has been motivated to ultimately help our communities, our society, our workforce, our students to have the best outcomes possible. I've done that through collaboration. I have a record of um, working interprofessionally, intraprofessionally, working across major ideological differences to bring forward meaningful change in action. And that is what it has been all about for me is to bring about, help bring about positive change for our profession and our communities and society. I have an open leadership style. Mm -hmm. I love to hear from practitioners, students, educators directly. When I was involved with COTAD, I spearheaded COTAD Ed for educators where Mm -hmm. we could have meetings twice per year. I I collaborated to spearhead. I have to qualify that. Uh, (laughs) I collaborated with Stephanie Lancaster, who has another great podcast too, to help start that initiative to facilitate communication. And so we would host sessions at the uh, national conference through AOTA and at the Mm -hmm. education summit through AOTA as well. And those meetings do still continue. So I think I'm a strong candidate for the vice president role for AOTA. And I would love to help serve our profession and our society in this way, if given the opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Christina. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview and to share your perspectives with all of our AOTA members and prospective members of AOTA. And this is my reminder, and I'm sure you agree to make sure to vote, make sure to vote in this year's AOTA elections and all the upcoming ones. So thank you so much, Christina. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Clarice. I really appreciate you doing all that you do. Hey, it's Clarice, and I just want to say thank you to all the candidates who have participated in this year's election and in this podcast series. Make sure to listen to all three episodes in order to hear interviews from the four AOTA president candidates and the two vice president candidates. I also want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to these interviews and to be an informed voter. I sincerely hope that you vote in this year's AOTA elections, which open on February 2nd and close on February 23rd at 11.59 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you aren't an AOTA member right now, that's okay. Now is a great time to join AOTA so you can participate in future elections. Well, this year's elections definitely have a historic number of individuals running for these positions. Every single AOTA election is important and shapes the future and direction of our profession. So I sincerely hope that you get involved. So again, thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. I put out a new podcast every other Tuesday. So please make sure to check back in if you want to learn more about advocacy, policy, and reimbursement. You can also access all of our blogs and podcasts for free at AmplifyOT.com, and you can join our free OT Amplifiers community at Learn.AmplifyOT.com. I really hope you'll join us, and I look forward to getting to know you.
If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast, and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?